The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Well, Refuge, we are, <clears throat> we are 33 weeks into our series in the book of John. Some of you maybe have only been with us for two weeks, including this week, if you were not here before the Advent series and uh, the Path of Mature Discipleship series, but we are back. Uh, we are perfectly set up for uh, meeting Easter and the resurrection in John at the same time. And to do that, it's really exciting, we have <clears throat> um, expanded uh, John 17 from one week to three weeks. John 17 is Jesus' high priestly prayer. And a lot of you are looking at me like, that means nothing to me. But don't worry, it's for your good. <laughs> uh, so so this, is, uh, this is the last Sunday in John 16. And then um, literally the next chapter is uh, just a, a long prayer that Jesus gives. And so by the end of today, I think... Um, I mean, I hope that you're just as excited as I am about that. To introduce you guys or reintroduce you to John. John is a book for all people. It was a gospel written uh, for Jew and Greek, for those scattered around the world. Uh, It is also a book written for us. It's a book written for you if you grew up knowing God. You grew up in a home where Jesus was honored. It's for you if you grew up not even knowing the name of Jesus. It's for you if you grew up in a city or in the country. The stories it says at the end of John were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. These stories are written so that you can believe God isn't just a thought. God isn't far away. God became human and he moved into the neighborhood. And by putting our full trust in who he really is, we can have full and eternal life. That is the story of the book of John. So let me pray for us as we enter into his word. God, by your mercy and by your spirit, I pray that you will tenderly but forcefully open our hearts and our minds and our lives this morning to receive these words and to be changed by them. God, I find that I quickly close off again that trying to process everything that's happening in my life or happening in the world. I don't stay open. God, we want to be a church that doesn't just put our head down and walk forward and bump into everything. We want to have eyes wide open to who you are and what you're doing in the world and walk courageously forward by faith. So please help us this morning to receive your word. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had someone you care about tell you that they are leaving? 
Have you ever had someone that you care about tell you that they are leaving? I'm not talking about a breakup. I'm talking about like my brother leaving to Scotland for a work trip. Just got back. But before that, he took three days away with his family. He has a wife and two beautiful little kids, and they went to their vacation home in Frisco, Colorado, and they spent three days there. And I imagine they played in the snow. It's this beautiful winter paradise down there. They ate together. They spent unbroken time together. Just and then at the end of that time, he had to tell his little girl, Lena, and son, Owen, I'm leaving for a little while. Now for Lena and Owen, who love their dad, and their dad's very present in their life, for, for Jonathan to tell them, I'm leaving, it probably feels like betrayal, right? I'm going away. Well, why? We just had this beautiful three days together. Why can't we go sledding again? Well, that's the context for John 16, where we're at today, is that, that Jesus has just spent this incredibly intimate, incredibly purposeful time with his disciples. And then he says, in a little while, I'm going to be leaving you. In John 13, the context is this. Jesus, it says, approaching the Passover, knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And get this, it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. See, that is the context here, is that Jesus knew that all power, all authority was his. And so what he does is he stoops down. And I want you really to visualize this, really do the work with me here. Visualize them gathered around a table eating food and and Jesus gets up and he goes around <laughs> washing their feet. And, and we talked about this not too long ago, but, but just the intimacy of that act that Jesus bends down. And I mean, I, I, this is going to be so uncomfortable for some of you, but imagine Jesus taking your foot in his hands and literally washing it. This incredibly intimate act. And Jesus after washing their feet, tells them that he is leaving. He says at the very end of chapter 13 this, these words, and he says, my children, you see this intimacy of this, my children, I will be with you only a little longer, and you will look for me just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. I think of Jonathan, I'm, I'm going away for work. Well, why can't we come with you, Dad? And, well, I'm, you can't come with me, <laughs> right? And so Peter, receiving these words, he goes, we will come with you, I will come, and even if I need to die, I will do that because I'm following you wherever you go. And Jesus says this to him. Will you really lay down your life for me? Truly I tell you, 
Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And then he enters into his farewell address. And for the next three chapters, which we're going to be ending today, for the next three chapters, what he does is he prepares their hearts for his leaving. And this is how he starts, John 14, 1. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. Would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And then verse four, this is so beautiful. He says this, you know the way to the place I'm going. I'm going, but you know the way to the place I'm going. And Thomas, who um, was unfortunately forever labeled because of his... (laughs) His responses like this, doubting Thomas. Um, Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Right? <laughs> so Jesus, they just at this moment, and he's like, uh, you know, I'm going. And then the disciples have this, this great habit of just ruining moments. <laughs> right? You imagine Jesus, and he's in, and he's like, hey, and then you know the way. And Thomas is like, <laughs> and Jesus is like, yeah, Thomas. And Thomas says, we don't know. And Jesus says, no, you know, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And Philip chimes in. He's not going to let Thomas be the only awkward one here. And Philip goes, Lord, show us the Father. That's all we need. And Jesus says, don't you know me? If you know me, you know the Father. And then Jesus masterfully starts showing them how he has prepared everything they need. And he introduces the Holy Spirit to them, which we find in in John 14. And then John 15, again, he says, right, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, then you, your life will bear much fruit. And then he goes on to explain the Holy Spirit again. And then at the very end of where we, we ended last week, Jesus explains to them the Trinity and and our participation in this divine relationship. I know probably for a lot of us that seems like this, still this big concept that it's hard to wrap our minds around. And so what we're going to start with here is I'm going to build out the context for you of, of exactly, okay, the word exact might be an exaggeration. <laughs> I'm going to show you how Jesus explains the Trinity. It's far more than our minds can grasp. But I'm going to show you how he reveals it and and how he invites us into participation in that. So the Trinity um, has been referred to, (laughs) it's funny to say theologically because it's not a very theological sounding idea, but as a, a divine dance. Okay? Um, last night I was at a Valentine's dance. Okay, a lot of that going on. And, and it, when people are dancing and they know how, that, that should be an important note to make, when they know how, um, there is this rhythm. And, and so say you choose a dance, like you're going to do the, the mamba or something, you know, that's the name of a dance, right? And, and so they start dancing, 
And the thing is, there are moves that are part of that dance, but then there is improv. And so you'll see these people, like there's five people all know what they're doing and they're kind of doing similar things, but then they like, you know, they're doing, and the other person's like, you know, and, and you're like, like that looks amazing. And they're in rhythm together. And that, that is the idea of the divine dance with the, the Trinity here is that you understand the Trinity by understanding the rhythm of the way they work together. Okay? The rhythm of the way that the Trinity works together in creating that <laughs> in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void and the spirit hovers over the water and then God speaks and we understand that his word is Jesus. Right? In, in his communication where we, we find here how he's communicating. Would you follow with me into John 16 verse 12. This is what Jesus says. I have much more to say to you, but I'm just going to wrap, what he's saying is, I'm, but I'm going to wrap this up more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will speak not on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Now verse 15 because what I just said, okay, sounds like an equation. Like, you know, when you were in school and someone was like, okay, you've got 13 times 15 over 200 million, 50, 80,000 and equals X. What's X? Right? I know that's what it sounded like, and you're like, Trinity, right? What does that mean? Well, verse 15 says it really simply. This, this is the consolidation. When someone says, what is the Trinity? Go, well, let me take you to John 16, 15, okay? Pull it up on your smartphone, and you're going to read, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is Jesus's. That is why Jesus said the Spirit will receive from him what he will make known to you. Simply put is this, that all that the Father has, he gives to the Son. Tracking with me? All that the Son has, he gives to the Spirit. All that the Spirit has, he gives to you. That seems simple. And that's how we're understanding this divine dance. See, in our world, this makes no sense. The reason why it makes no sense is because we are only used to relationships where when there is a giving and a receiving, that there is a power equivalent that is unequal, right? Oftentimes we see this in, in charity work, right? Where I stand on one side of the table and someone walks on the other side and I like ladle food to them and I'm in this position of power and I have stuff and then I give it to you, right? When really we are both image bearers of God, right? But we, we so cherish the idea of, of um, position and power. 
I think when we see this, it's so hard for us to understand that God in this, this rhythm and movement where he is communicating, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, together creating, communicating, caring for us, we're like, how is it possible that the Father gives to the Son, gives to the Spirit, gives to us? Well, let me explain it this way. I think this will be helpful. There is in this divine dance of the, of the Trinity, perfect submission to one another. So there's perfect submission of Father, Son, Spirit. And, and we are meant to see this in a marriage relationship. That's one of the ways God's given us to understand himself. Where in Ephesians 5, it says that a husband and wife should submit to one another in love. That does not mean they don't have distinct positions, distinct responsibilities in that relationship, but in submitting to one another in love, they are made equals, although they have distinct positions in their relationships. Does that make sense? So in, in this relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are submitting to one another perfectly. There is unhindered communication of Father to Son to Spirit. Unhindered communication which again is hard for us to understand. Hard for understand why. Well, let me give you an example. I've known my parents since before I knew them, right? But that doesn't mean that communication's always easy. Sometimes they can have something important to tell me or I can have something important to tell them and yet we're, find, we're trying to find the words. You know what I mean? Are you with me? You're like, I love this person. Uh, why is it that I have no idea how to say this? <laughs> right? Like, I, why is it awkward? When uh, they knew me before I knew them. You know, like, like why is that hard? Because, because in our relationships, we don't know what it's like to not have the, the hindrance and the brokenness of sin. We don't know what... But that's not like, and so we carry ourselves very awkwardly. And, and when we're in people's presence, we are so aware of their presence and yet feel so separate at the same time, right? Well, well, that is not present in the Trinity. There is unhindered communication, Father to Son to Spirit. They are in beautiful dialogue with one another. The last part is this, there's complete satisfaction in participation. And so in this participation of life, Father, Son, Spirit, there is satisfaction there. The amazing thing that we find, though, is that we're included. Father gives to Son, gives to Spirit, gives to us, gives His all to us. All, all, all that the Father has, he gives to the Son. All that the, Father, the Son has, he gives to the Spirit. And all is given then to us. In Romans 8, I mean, this sounds scandalous, but in Romans 8, it says this. If he has given you Christ, how will he not give you all things? All things. So how do we participate in this is the question. Are you with me? This is crazy. All that the Father has. 
all is given to you. So how do we participate in that, right? Because if, if you, you are like me. I'm not going to say if, you are like me. Because oftentimes we're like, that's sweet. Or like, that's cool that you've got this going on in the Trinity. Like, that you, you're happy, <laughs> you know? It's like one of those moments where like, I'm glad you're happy. Right? But then God's like, but I want you to have that too. And I made a way for you to have that too. So how do we participate in that? Well, the way we participate in that is this. Uh, if we have John 16, 16 through 33, we will just start in. And the way we participate, Jesus says, is this. <clears throat> in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. It seems kind of mysterious, right? Well, between verses 6 and 19, those four verses, it says this word little seven times between what Jesus is saying and the disciples. And I, and I think that the conversation uh, is, is sort of what we'll experience when, uh, you know, Jonathan would tell his little girl, Lena, well, I'm going to be gone for a little while. And Lena's like, a little while? Like, like after I wake up from my nap, right? And uh, John's like, no, a little, little while longer. <laughs> She's like, well, so like tomorrow? Right, like, um, like what is a little, because it's this deep concern on the part of the disciples is what does Jesus mean by his leaving? If we can jump down to uh, verse 20, what, uh, what Jesus says is this. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and you will mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but then your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child is pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one no one will take away your joy. What Jesus is saying is essentially this. What he's pointing to is the grief of his, uh, what will soon be his betrayal, denial, and death. And they will be afraid and they will be filled with fear. But what that is like is preparation. That is, that is merely preparation and the world will rejoice when they would yell, crucify him, crucify him, and that deed was done, they would celebrate that fact, and then Jesus would rise from the dead. And what happens in that moment, right? We're in a world that was shaken by sin and filled with so much uncertainty and fear and anxiety, something will happen in that moment of the resurrection of Jesus that that will forever change the world. You see, you see what he says here? Look, look at the promise in the end of 22. It says, and no one can take away your joy. Something's going to happen that nothing can stop. Nothing will ever be able to, to influence in such a way that it would diminish it. That the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ will bring such stability and joy that if you participate in that, it's yours. 
Hands down, the way Jesus describes it is this, and of his own, he loses none, right? It's a joy that is, that can't be snatched away. Well, how do we, this is the big question for us, how do we participate in that joy, right? I want to be happy. (laughs) I want to be filled with joy that can't be shaken. How do we share in that? Because our Christian lives sometimes don't look like that, right? I mean, when, when we, you know, we, we read a couple weeks ago, Colossians, where it says, you know, let the word of Christ dwell among you richly, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And, and I think probably a lot of us were like, I want that. Like, I'd love it if Nick sat down with me and just started singing. Like, he was like, God is so good to me, Daniel. Right? Like, yes! <laughs> More of that, right? But what we do when we sit down together is, is often more like, gosh, that was a sucky week, right? You're like, yeah, I know, right? So, so how do we participate in joy? Well, I will let you know first gathering did not get singing, okay? I love you guys. Not more, just in a different way. Um, so how do we participate in that? If we go on... In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And that's the important line there, in my name, which you're going to find again. It says, until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you'll receive and your joy will be made complete. So what Jesus is saying is in the meantime... In the meantime, what you will learn to do is you will learn to pray. You will learn to really pray. You will learn to pray in the name of Jesus. Well, what what does that mean? What it means to pray in the name of Jesus is to join this divine dance of complete submission. When you pray and you say, In Jesus' name, what you are saying is what Jesus wants is what I want. May his will be done. May his kingdom come. That's what I want. You're saying, I'm praying this because I know it is in complete connection to his heart and his will and his desire. See, oftentimes what we do is we feel like when we become Christians, what we're doing is we're inviting God to be a part of our lives. Like accepting Jesus into my life and into my chaos. And so it's like, like, like I am just in this crazy storm and yet I've got Jesus. Right? The, the, it's actually... Uh, the, the way where we are actually found in him after that, right? In Colossians, it says, now that you are in Christ, hidden in Christ. And so God is inviting us into his life. And so when we pray in Jesus' name, what we're saying is, now I'm a part of that. What does that sort of prayer life look like? Well, prayer is in this way, our participation in joy. The fullness of joy that the Father shares with the Son shares with the Spirit. And we're invited into that. What does this look like? 
Well, um, with First Gathering, I got really introspective <laughs> um, because it's hard for me to talk about prayer um, without feeling immense longing When we pray, if your experience is at all like mine, um, which my guess is it is, is prayer fills me with, um, I'm like both hopeful and fearful. And I don't know, I don't know fully where that comes from. I don't know fully how to describe that. When I think of times where I, I have prayed, I can think of times this last week, early on in the week, um, I spent a couple of long times of prayer. It's been my thing in 2017. I really want to grow in my prayer life. So you find you set aside an hour of time to pray and you get done and it was so good. And you think, I'm awesome. I just prayed for an hour and and you start thinking biblical thoughts like you're like Jesus's disciples couldn't even pray for an hour and i just did i'm awesome i'm going to do this every day awesome <laughs> and then the next night you're like god i feel like i can get just as much as i have a half an hour tonight <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. This happened this week, right? And then it's like 15 minutes. The night, you know, and guys, what happens? Did does the did the promise fail? No, I failed. So what I want you to see is this. That, that is the invitation of Jesus to in his name pray and in that way participate in his joy. I want to show you what this means. I'm going to kind of let you, Jesus lets us behind the curtain to see what's going on in the context of his, the fear and the grief in his death and then the joy in his resurrection that we're able to share. He's going to show us what this new life looks like. Starting here in verse 25, he says, Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use the kind of language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. And then he goes on to tell us plainly. It says, In that day you will ask in my name, in the name of Jesus, pledging full allegiance to Jesus, that he is the way, that he is the truth, that he is the life, that we are going to... Seek the Father because of the way Jesus has made for us. But then he says, I am not saying, this is really important, I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. What is Jesus saying here? He says, no, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. So what Jesus is saying is, it's not that you're going to come to me and then I'm going to go to Father and I'm going to be like, hey, so uh, Daniel was asking and uh, I was wondering, you know, like, do you remember when you were a child and, and you were trying to organize sleepovers and, uh, and you tell your friends like, hey, you want to ask your parents maybe if like we can hang out and sleep? You know? And then they're like, 
hey, you know, so, like they're the go-between, right? Or you know who the favorite child is, and so you're like, hey, can you ask if we can have candy? Um, and and that's what we what we act like with Jesus and we're like hey Jesus I'm going to go to you because God is still the father is still scary the father is still going to consume me with fire but Jesus is like no you're adopted you are a part of the divine dance now you are included you are one of now and and so you go directly to the father no the father himself loves you the father himself thinks fondly of you like the father looked at Jesus' baptism and said i am so pleased with you that is now your relationship with the father because of what jesus has done and because you are going in jesus's name you're not going in your own name i'm not going to walk up to god and be like so daniel is come you know no, you're gonna come and be like, "Hey, I know, I know, Jesus, Jesus invited me." You know, and and in His name, you have access. In Hebrews four sixteen, it says, "Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need." God invites us into his throne room and says, ask of me whatever you would. This is what I want you to get, that prayer now is direct prayer. It's no longer praying, um, praying, uh, thinking that maybe if I offer this incense or I, I bring my best or I sacrifice this, then God will... Like literally, he goes, you are a part of this divine dance. Learn, learn the rhythm, participate in it. This, this is what I want you to get. Very simply put, Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, what you have seen in my relationship with the Father, you can expect in your relationship with the Father. You get that? Jesus is saying, what you have seen in my relationship with the Father, you can expect in your relationship with the Father. Do you see how Jesus lives? We get to see how Jesus lives, and Jesus is saying, what you've seen, you do now. You get to do that. What does this look like as we live it out? What this looks like if we go down to 31, verse 31 through 33, is this. Jesus says, do you now believe a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered? Each to your own home, you will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. How do we live this out? Well, Let me tell you how we live this out. We live this out by scattering. We live this out by denying. We live this out by betraying. See, when God offers himself perfectly to us, we don't offer ourselves perfectly to him. And Jesus is saying, you will leave me alone 
but I am not alone. Because I think this is the incredible reality is when we see what's being offered to us and maybe in a moment like this where there is space to like think and find peace and rest your heart for a moment, you go, I am all in. I am all in. And then, and then on Thursday, you'll be like, why did I just do that? <laughs> and Jesus knows that. Jesus knows you're going to scatter. Jesus knows you're going to leave him alone. And Jesus is saying, I have told you these things so that in me you will have peace. In this world, you will have troubles. You will have troubles that will make you scatter. You will have troubles that will make you doubt and disbelieve. And some will even, for a time being, reject God. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. That's how we participate in the divine dance. We learn to pray, but even when we learn to pray, we learn just how frail, how betraying, how inconsistent in relationships that we are. We learn that no matter how good God is at communicating with us, how stubborn we are in receiving, but take heart, take heart, Christian, because Jesus has overcome the world. And so what we are learning to do is we are learning to live in his victory. Not learning to live in our victories. See, this is the interesting thing. Um, I didn't share this with First Gathering, but this, I think this is really important. See, when you first start a relationship, people will always ask you this. This is interesting. They'll always say, have you had your first fight? And what they're really asking is, have you hurt each other yet? Have you hurt the other person? And have you learned how to heal, right? That's what they're asking. Because the, the thing is, you will hurt people. You will hurt God. Have you had your first fight with God yet? And probably a lot of you will be like, yeah. I actually had my 598th yesterday. And, but, but take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. Take heart because he is invested in the healing of your heart. Take heart, he is not chasing you away. He is drawing you in. The Father himself loves you. Approach the throne of grace with confidence. So how do we do this? Well, Jesus moves directly from this into his prayer. And so we're going to learn in the next three weeks how to pray like Jesus. We're going to learn from Jesus what he would pray about, what he prays for us and how to participate in that life of prayer. And by doing that, participate in his joy. But I just want to encourage you, if you have started and failed so many times at praying, take heart. It is the way you participate in the joy of God. 
and it is not out of reach. God is still welcoming you into that. And I want to learn with you. So how's your prayer life? What are you going to do about it? Let's pray. Father, thank you that we could come directly to you. That we do not need to be afraid. Because Jesus has overcome. And even these words that I pray right now, even me not knowing fully how to pray, that the Spirit prays knowing my weakness. In the name of Jesus. And that you hear God, so take these offerings we bring. We don't come and offer them because they win us acceptance, but because our hearts are learning to love you. Help us love you more, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.